This is Trek FM. Hailing frequencies open. This is your Trek FM Hyper Channel for Tuesday, July eighth, twenty fourteen. I'm Christopher Jones, and I have one story for you today. Q visits the Abramsverse in IDW's new six-part story. Rewind three years to a time when speculation about the next Star Trek villain was flying, and you'll hear some suggest it should be Q. We didn't get Mr. Omnipotent as part of Into Darkness, but thanks to IDW, the crew of the Abramsverse Enterprise will finally get their chance to meet the Thorn in Picard's side. But how exactly will this work? On July 9th, that question will finally be answered as the first issue of the Q Gambit drops. We've talked about this for quite a while on Literary Treks, and we are cautious. I guess you would say cautious for a few reasons, and and as as I talk today, we'll find out if those change a little bit. One reason that Matthew and I on literary treks are very cautious about the storyline that IDW is embarking upon is that we're not quite sure that Q should be appearing in the alternate timeline. We think about how ruffled the feathers of Star Trek fans have been about what Paramount is doing with Star Trek, what J.J. Abrams has done with Star Trek, especially after Khan appeared in the last movie and was, you know, significantly different than the Khan that we knew from Star Trek II. At the same time, if Q is an omnipotent being and the Q as a race, as a species, somehow transcend our existence and our linear time and can move freely both within space in terms of the galaxy or the universe as well as time because we see Q send Picard all the way back to when the Earth was first forming, when life was first taking hold. And... If alternate timelines, such in the the many worlds theory, if that's accurate, it does make some sense that Q would be able to hop from timeline to timeline. So, having him go to the Abramsverse is not completely ridiculous. The question, though, is do we want to see that as fans? That's something that I'm not so sure about. I'm not so sure that I want to see that. Although after reading the first five pages of this comic, I have to say that maybe, maybe I'm okay with it. At least the setup makes a little bit of sense. The Trek Collective has the first five pages that you can go read right now. And the way this story kicks off is that it starts in the 24th century, shortly after the events of Countdown, Remember the comic that led into the 2009 film? And Spock goes through and you see Nero there and Spock saves the day, it seems. And then we cut to a TNG scene. And this is a scene of Picard aboard the Enterprise-E. And of course, in Countdown, Data is the captain and Picard is the Federation ambassador to Vulcan. And Q is, you know, playfully jabbing Picard, something about the tea, like, would it kill you to try chamomile from time to time? And Picard says, I've no patience for another of your games, Q. Not here, not now. 
And Q says, "No games, Jean-Luc. I promise you. All you have to do is listen." Spock lives, and Picard says, "What?" And Q says, "When he flew into that whatever it was, he flew out the other side again. He arrived a century earlier than when he left, but it beats not arriving at all. Don't you agree? It's a fascinating alternate timeline, Jean-Luc." To give you just one example, over there, Khan Noonien Singh, and then Picard cuts him off and says, "Stop! I don't want to know any of it, Q. The events of parallel timelines are not witty anecdotes to be related as a lark. They are real events happening to real people, as real as you or, well, as real as I am, at any rate." And then it goes on from there, and Picard tells Q to promise you're not going to mess with the alternate timeline, and Q says,、um, "Yeah, I promise. As long as you promise to breathe only oxygen and nothing else, none of the other gases mixed with it." And then he disappears, and he's gone. So, what I know about what comes next, without revealing anything that's actually in the comic, because this show is going to come out. A day before, so I, I can't talk about what happens after this. But what has been revealed previously about the storyline is that somehow Q is going to take the crew of the Abrams vs. Enterprise and mix them with the crew of Deep Space Nine. And I don't know how I feel about that either. It feels too much like we're mixing up. Timelines, and we're mixing up centuries. And why do we need to have Cisco and Kira involved with Kirk and Spock from the Abrams verse? But like I said, I'm cautiously—no, I'm not going to say cautiously optimistic. I'm cautiously looking forward to where this story goes. The great thing about it is it's a six-part comic. So if you don't like it, then just. Don't make it part of your head canon. That's all you have to do. But I, what I'm curious to know from you, though, is what do you think about Q crossing over into the Abrams verse, and what do you think about mixing the new Trek Abrams verse crew with Deep Space Nine? And just one word here: when I ask for feedback on this, if you hate the Abrams verse. That is fine. That's your right. It's your opinion. It's wonderful that you have it. And if you can communicate that politely, and you can share your thoughts in a constructive manner, then I would love to hear that. If you're going to say J.J. Abrams should die, if you're going to curse every third word that you write, then please move along because. We're probably not the show for you, and we're probably not the network for you.、Uh, we do have someone on our Facebook page right now who feels the need to do this every time we mention J.J. Abrams, and also feels the need to do it when we talk about Prime Universe stuff. And they will just comment like, "Please don't J.J. this" or something like that. Not necessary.、Uh, please move along. But otherwise. If if you think this shouldn't happen, I'd love to hear from you because I'm kind of with you. You know, I'm I'm not a big fan of the Abrams verse. P- I think people confuse the fact that I talk about it on the shows with me thinking that it's great 
and that they should be doing this. My opinion of the Abrams verse is that Star Trek should not have been rebooted. I don't like reboots in general. I want to see Star Trek continued in the Prime Universe. And for me, these two movies and these comics are completely separate from the rest of Star Trek, which is one reason why I'm not really keen on this crossover idea with Q. So I'm not a huge fan. I'm not even a fan, I would say, really, of the Abrams verse. However, taken alone, taking them by themselves as comics, I think the Star Trek ongoing comics have been pretty good. They've been better than the movies. The stories have been pretty interesting. And the last one that they did, Lost Apollo, you could actually read it as, as I mentioned on the show yesterday, in fact, you could actually read it as an original series comic. And I think like 90% of it works. Uh, McCoy sounds like DeForest Kelly. It, it works. So anyway, that's where I stand on the Abrams verse. So don't confuse the fact that I talk about the Abrams verse as part of our shows as it being some sort of endorsement that this is the right direction for Star Trek, because I don't think so. I think Star Trek belongs on television, and I think that we should be telling stories in the Prime Universe and expanding the five decades of material that we already have, because there is so much to explore. We don't need a reboot. It's not like we ran out of material and we needed to start over. That's my position. So going back to the comic here, let me know what you think about Q crossing over to the Abramsverse and also what you think about mixing the Abramsverse crew of the 23rd century Enterprise with the 24th century crew of Deep Space Nine and uh, where that might be going. You can find me on Twitter. My username is C. Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash C. Brian Jones, and I would love to talk to you. Please be respectful of others, not only of me, but of your fellow fans as well when you discuss these things. Star Trek is about diversity. If we all had the same opinion, we would be missing the point of Star Trek. So I welcome contrary opinions. Just be polite and be respectful. All right. I have some feedback again. And well, speaking of differing opinions, here's some in the feedback. A few shows ago, I talked about the infrastructure for broadband internet in the United States. And I also talked about alternative energy and our need to really develop wind and solar and maybe things that we haven't even thought of yet. I received some feedback from listener Christopher Baca, who often sends us feedback and talks to us on Facebook as well as by email. And this is a case where Christopher and I have very differing opinions. And I'm going to read part of his feedback so you can see a contrary view uh, to what I was talking about. Christopher says, when I was studying for my master's in MIS Infrastructure Assurance, we discussed how the infrastructures of the U.S. and Europe were built and how technology advances are different in countries that are building their infrastructure now. The U.S. infrastructure is built off the railroad's infrastructure. The telegraph followed the rails out west. Then those were replaced with telephones, etc. You see where this is going. So a lot of investments were made on those initial backbones. We have a lot of legacy junk out there. Texas's infrastructure is actually separate from the U.S., and this is where Christopher lives in Texas. It also followed the rail and oil pipelines between the major cities to the coast, 
Now we are stuck with trying to spread out from that initial structure to less populated areas of the country, which costs a lot of money. He goes on to say, yes, we want to keep the government out of it. The less they are involved, the better. Having the government compel companies or even nationalizing them leads to fascism. And we saw how well that worked out in the 1930s. So, I just want to address this briefly here. Okay, like I said, I respect differing viewpoints. First of all, leading to fascism, this is this is an irrational jump. This is not where it logically has to lead. I'm not suggesting that the government nationalize companies in order to lay fiber optics to create better broadband infrastructure in the United States. I am suggesting that the government will have to do it because private companies will not do it. There is no incentive for them to do it. So because it is a national security issue, which I strongly believe that it is, I think it's the government's responsibility. Now, you can put an oversight committee on that made up of civilians, which I think you should do. I don't think the government should have carte blanche to do something either. And I don't think the government should have total control over something either. I do think they need to lead the way. So I'm not talking about the government forcing companies to do something or nationalizing. I'm talking about leadership. That's the first thing. The other thing, all this stuff about the U.S. infrastructure, absolutely, I understand that. I know that that's how it is. You have to start over and lay fiber optics because just because that's the way it was done in the past and just because this legacy system exists, to use that as a reason why you can't fix the problem that's really an excuse. You have to solve the problem somehow. If, if it involves doing what Google's doing, who I'm also not a big fan of, and I really don't want them controlling everything either, but they're at least taking the initiative to lay fiber optics. The U.S. is a tough situation. It's a huge country. It's a major undertaking to build a new infrastructure, but it's something that it's going to have to be done. So here's a story, actually, where I live in Japan. Going to the whole thing here about Texas's infrastructure being separate from the U.S. You'll remember March 2011, the great Tohoku earthquake here in Japan. It was one of the, I believe, five, I think it was the fifth strongest earthquake in recorded history since they started actually recording earthquakes. It was a devastating earthquake, and I live about... Well, how far? Maybe 500 kilometers from the epicenter, about 300 kilometers from Fukushima. We had rolling blackouts here in eastern Japan in what we call the Kanto region for a long time after that because we didn't have enough power. to, to co- We actually did have enough power, and that's one of the things, but it came out later that the, the power company, Tepco, was not really being honest about the power supply. But that's beside the point. The point is that we had rolling blackouts. But in Kansai, the western part of Japan, they had plenty of electricity to spare. We couldn't get electricity from them. Why? Because our power grids were incompatible. After World War II, one part of Japan, 
had the power grid built on the U.S. standard. The other part of Japan had the power grid built on the German standard. They're incompatible. And so we're sitting over here in the east having rolling blackouts. We don't have power. We have power to spare on the other side of the country. And we're a small country, right? You have to fix that. It has to be fixed. And they're moving to fix that. You know, after that happened, they realized we have to do something. Same thing here that I'm talking about. So I feel like infrastructure issues, I know it's a problem, but it has to be addressed. So that's where I was going with that. Also, Christopher writes about alternative energy and says, as to alternative energy right now, none of the technologies can support the needs of the world. There is no practical replacement for oil. Wind farms and solar farms are wreaking havoc on the environment as well, killing birds, animals, causing issues for people with the noises of the fan blades, etc. We need to keep exploring alternate forms of energy production because we will eventually come across a replacement that will work and be practical. This whole philosophy of trying to hamper oil production and coal mining is just hurting people and the economy. Once we find the right replacement, the move to the new technology or energy source will happen on its own, especially if it is cheaper than oil. Okay, so I didn't say anything about hampering oil production or coal mining. I said that we need to be putting more resources into the development of alternative energy sources. And I strongly believe that. I think what I probably did say was that the energy companies have no incentive to do this right now, and they present alternative energy sources as if they're developing them when they're doing a little bit, but not nearly as much as they could or should, because it's in their best interest to maintain the status quo of oil and coal. That's what I see. So I just want to see us invest more resources and more of our energy into developing other energy sources. Solar may not be the solution. Wind may not be the solution. There may be something we've not thought of yet, but I don't think it will just happen on its own if it's discovered. And, you know, it's probably not going to be cheaper than oil right out of the gate. It takes time on these things. I want to see us move forward on that. So anyway, Christopher, thank you for your feedback. Obviously, we have contrary views of this, uh, but I respect your view and where you're coming from. And I hope you respect mine and where I'm coming from. And again, this is, to me, again, what Star Trek is all about. And people are listening to the show and saying you're spending too much time talking about these issues, which actually aren't Star Trek issues. And you're probably right. But I I did want to address the feedback. And I actually um, held off on this feedback for a couple of days because I didn't want to make the next show all about this again. But I did want to share it. So, so that's where we are on that. So again, thank you, Christopher for your feedback and for listening to shows and for supporting what we're doing here. I do appreciate it. I have a short network update for you today. We have one new show for you, and that's Earl Grey, which is all about the lost elements from TOS this time. And Philip, Darren, and Daniel ask, how much changes in the Star Trek universe in 100 years? When The Next Generation first aired in 1987, viewers discovered a new crew the Enterprise D, and writers and producers who wanted to update several aspects of the original series. But what elements from TOS were purposefully avoided by TNG? And was it a mistake to reinvent Star Trek too much, 
Or did it help TNG create its own unique identity as the newest Star Trek television series? Find out, tune in, see if you agree with what Daniel, Darren, and Philip come up with related to Lost Elements from TOS. And you'll find the show right now in your feeds if you subscribe to the individual show feed for Earl Grey or to the Trek of Film Complete Master Feed that contains every episode of every show we do. You'll find these everywhere you get your podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, we're all over the place. And also you can find Hyper Channel in those places. Please subscribe to the feed if you're streaming this from our website. And you can also get Hyper Channel in the Trek of Film Complete Master Feed. Well, I would love to chat with you today about the stories I talked about. If you have feedback on the Q crossover to the Abramsverse, I'd love to hear what you think about that. If you have thoughts on broadband and energy, I'd be happy to chat with you about that. I probably will not talk about that on the show. I, you send me feedback. I'll talk to you offline or outside of the show on that. And I, I do want to move on from this topic here on the show and uh, get us back to more Star Trek focused things. So thank you for bearing with me in these discussions about this. I do think they are important for our future. So I will talk about them from time to time. If you would like to talk to me, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash C Brian Jones. And you can find the network in these places as well. We're on Twitter under username TrekFM. On Facebook, facebook.com slash TrekFM. On Google Plus, we have a community. We have forums at trek.fm slash forums. You can also send me a voicemail through the website or use our contact form at trek.fm slash contact to send me an email. Well, thanks as always for listening. I hope your week is off to a great start. I'll be back tomorrow with some more stories for you. And until then, go watch some Trek. Trek.